Welcome to episode whatever it is of Man Buns. And I really need to have a handle on it. I think it's five, six. Dang. It's six. Episode six of Man Buns and Jesus. If you missed the first five, don't worry. They don't rely on each other at all. Um, I'm Josh Laborious. I'm a pastor in Southern California in uh, Edgewater Lutheran Church in Eastvale. And then over there, the scruffy fella with the white streak in his beard is Ben Olschlager my handsome co-host. If you're listening, then you're like, why is he described? We have a video on YouTube of this too. So if you're listening and you really are curious, check out the video. But that is Ben Oschlager and he's the co-host. All yours, Ben. Well, thanks, Josh. Um, so today's topic is going to be uh, content-wise a lot different than some of the past couple topics that we've done, which have been maybe a little bit more lighthearted. Um, on Tuesday, as we're recording this, uh, about it was two days ago that the shooting happened in Oxford, Michigan, which is uh, the next town north of me. Um, and uh, we have several members in the congregation with family in the high school um, and other connections of, of varying directness uh, to some of the victims that that are um, or some of the victims of the shooting. Um, so over the last couple of days, I've been grappling a lot with what does it look like for a Christian to respond to tragedy? Um, how do we bring the gospel to people who are hurting in that deep of a, a way? Uh, and how how do we respond with our our lives? to people who are, are seeing the depths of the curse of sin. Um, and th- I mean, there's so many different things that people experience in the wake of tragedy. There's, there's, uh, there's guilt, there's shame, there's relief, there's, um, there's pain, there's, there's just so much going on. So what do we do? Where do we start? Um, and I guess I, I've been really close to this, but um, Josh, what have you kind of been seeing and hearing around, you know, either this event or events of a similar nature that have happened in, in the past? So the, the first thing that comes to mind for me, um, and I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but the first thing that comes to mind to me is on is how we shouldn't be responding as Christians. And I know like it's terrible to define yourself by what you're not. But sort of some some things that we need to set out, I think, right out front when we're talking about tragedy, especially if you're listening to this and you're struggling with either um, the reality of a tragedy like the shooting in, in Oxford, right? Oxford? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, or maybe it's a personal tragedy. Maybe you lost someone recently. Maybe um, something terrible is happening in your life. Whatever the level of tragedy, and you're listening to this, I want to assure you of some things. And if you are, if you have someone like that in your life, I want to warn you of some things not to do, not to say. Um, the first thing is, experiencing tragedy is not some result of not believing hard enough. Mm. Like I, I've heard Christians respond, well, if you just prayed harder or if you just had a little bit more faith, you'd be fine. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, faithful Christians 
still experience tragedy, still experience this brokenness of creation that we live in. Um, and to add on to that, saying you don't believe Harden, like that is not the move, right? And if you're experiencing tragedy, I want to reassure you, it's not, it's not because you didn't believe hard enough. Like faith isn't our work anyway. Faith is a gift from, from God. So that's, that's not why this tragedy happens. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, and then s- some other things that I think get thrown around with tragedy and, and Christians are things like, oh, this is punishment. Or, you know. Hang on, Josh, I'm getting a phone call. Okay. I'll hang on for Ben. Right. Ooh, I can pause the recording. I'm going to do that. So. Another thing that I, I do think people will throw around is that whole idea of punishment, right? Um, and I think you can overdo it on both because the the declaration that this was not punishment is saying more than we know, right? Because God does punish sin, whether it's individual sin, whether it's the sin of the world, like sin is punished and so we can't say it's not punishment, but it's also way overstepping to say it is because terrible things happen for so many different reasons, so many different motivations that declaring that it must be punishment is, is way overstepping. So I think, um, I think as Christians, the best place for us to step in is to step away from the, why did this happen as hard as that is, um, it's a question that I don't think in a lot of cases you can really answer, not satisfactorily anyway, and step more into the response. How do we show love and compassion and grace? And how do we, how do we, how do we uh, show the light of Christ in the aftermath of the situation? So that's kind of my first response uh, when I'm thinking about tragedy, at least. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of things that I want to riff off of just as we're going here. One, you mentioned, um, like, we don't know where this falls on the spectrum of, um, like, is this uh, a, some sort of punishment or is it not? I think ultimately, um, part of part of that, I think we, we just think of uh, justice in way too individual of a sense. Uh, especially in the United States where our society and our culture is so individually focused, right? Ultimately, all of evil in the world is a punishment for sin, but it's not necessarily a punishment for the per- like the individual person that has been affected by that tragedy. Like we wear the curse and, and the punishment for sin corporately. And we all experience it. We all experience it throughout the, the, the breadth of tragedies, whether it's, you know, a family member passing away or if it's a shooting like the one that's happened this past week. Ultimately, that is a, a repercussion for sin. But it, I think Josh is spot on in that we, we cannot pin it on a single person. We cannot pin it, pin it on a single person's sin. Um, so... Because I, I it's, think, we, we corporately wear the same burden. I think maybe something that'll help, because I'm, I guess, I, I, I'm assuming this is correct, that most of our listeners are 
American like us. And we're kind mm -hmm. of, we are, we are an individualistic people. Um, mm -hmm. And some of that is, is, I, I almost want to say subconscious, like it, it's really hard to separate ourselves when we're thinking about people. So mm -hmm. a, a couple of analogies that might help us get there. Um, think of a car, right? Um, say you have like a loose bolt somewhere in your engine that after uh, we, we both lived in St. Louis for a while after one too many of their stupid potholes rumbles loose and starts bouncing around in your engine. And then you finally get to a mechanic and they're like half of everything under the hood is just shot to crap. Mm -hmm. and it wasn't the fault of any one part, but that screw that came loose and started bouncing around messed everything up. Another example could be, uh, not to go back to last week, but a sports team, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think especially in football, if, if a team loses, a team starts to suck. They, a lot of people will say, well, it's the quarterback's fault. Well, is the quarterback getting protected by the line? Is the quarterback, uh, is the running game established so that the defense can't just swarm the quarterback or, or commit way too much to covering the receipt? Like, so many other of these positions is the defense holding up. And the reality is that, yes, one, one person falling, like say, uh, say for the Packers, say Aaron Rodgers goes down. That might be the impetus that causes a lot of other problems, but ultimately it wasn't all because whoever's replacing him sucks. It's because other parts of the game start to suffer as well. And to draw this all back to where we're going that initial screw bouncing around, that initial injury or whatever to the team, that was Adam and Eve. Like, that was our ancestors so far back, you know, we've lost all, all trace. Um, but that screw came loose, and it's been bouncing around in the world ever since, and sin breaks everything it touches, right? So we say, well, this person didn't deserve it. Maybe not individually, but we've messed creation up so bad that it took God himself coming to earth and dying to fix it. So yeah, I, I think we, we have to take this out of kind of the individual um, mindset, which is really hard to think about if you're the one suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, then it just appears to be senseless violence. And that's, I mean, in essence, that's kind of what it is, right? Sin makes no sense. The brokenness of creation makes no sense. And when stuff like this happens, it hurts. It's an absolute sucker punch. You, you don't see it coming. You're blindsided by it. And it just sucks. Um, the other thing that I was kind of thinking is, as you were kind of giving me your first thoughts was you had talked about like, it's sometimes hard for us as, as Christians to know how to, to respond. Um, and I had, I'm going to use an example. And if the person who I'm citing here listens, she'll know exactly who she is. I've got a, a former uh, high school PE teacher in my congregation who taught in Pontiac schools here in Michigan. And Pontiac uh, has an incredibly high crime rate. Uh, so throughout her career, she often had 
or not often, but she had several occasions where she had students who were murdered. Uh, and she had other students who were the murderers um, and had to sit through classes where she could tell that her class was grieving um, and was struggling with that. And she found that oftentimes her best response was to say nothing and just listen. Uh, and when people were able to express the things that they were feeling and seeing to make sure to let them know that the reality that they are seeing and experiencing is reality, to not minimize it and to just continue to be there and be supportive in whatever like ways you can be. Uh, and if all you can do is sit there and put an arm around someone while they cry, that speaks volumes, even if it doesn't seem like you're doing much. Yeah. So I think what might be helpful is for us to go, um, to go a little bit into, well, if you are comforting someone or Maybe that's if you are um, engaging with someone who has suffered a tragedy, who has been really close, whether that is um, something like the shooting that happened and they've lost someone or they are they were very close to someone who's lost someone or someone who lost. Maybe there was a natural disaster or something. Um, maybe there was a you know, they, they lost their house or um, they lost their job like. I wouldn't say those two things are, you can't equate them to human life, but there's still tragedies that people go through. Um, and just some tips for how do we support our friends, our family, our, our loved ones who are, who are struggling in this way. Um, and I think that that number one thing is to listen. Um, in, in our business, we call, we call this, kind of thing, a ministry of presence in that you are ministering to someone just by being there. Um, and when, when it comes to tragedy, you know, first of all, you, you have to know the person, you have to know the person well, um, but be there, be there to listen and don't, um, don't try to solve it because you can't, right? In the, in the case where a, uh, a life has been lost, you can't, uh, to quote Rick Sanchez, you can't cure death. Um, but you can listen and you can be there. Um, and like Ben said, you just, you, you kind of be that person for them to cry with, to be angry with. Um, and when they're, when they're experiencing emotions, I think uh, an important thing to remember is not, not to pass judgment, right? Because people will react differently. And you just, what I would, what I guess the goal would be is to be a, a balancing, a calming presence. So even if they're getting uh, worked up, they're getting really angry, really, you know, uh, they're devastated, they're crying, whatever the emotion they're feeling is, just be there and listen, but be stable with them, right? So don't, um, if, they're, if they're starting to get really angry, don't get angry with them. Just be there and listen 
um, but kind of remain level headed, remain calm, um, because you you like you're you're providing them some stability. Their life is being thrown into chaos, and you're you're helping to show them that you know there is some stability in this world. Um, so that's one. If you want to jump with any any thoughts you have, I'm actually trying to look up my notes from our uh, our crisis counseling class because. I remember I wrote stuff down about this. I, I think one of the things that I think I, I do want to kind of bounce off of that too is like, this is not something we're just throwing out there because empirically we've seen this work. I mean, yes, that's true. But also like as Christians, our, our goal in Christian living is to mimic the character of God. And I think we actually do this in a very real way when we, just sit and listen and have a ministry of presence because uh if you look at especially if you look at the way that the holy spirit works um romans describes the spirit working as an intercessor who as as the creation cries out in in, in its pains and its, its birth pains as as paul writes you see the holy spirit take those cries of pain and anguish and, and deliver them to god listen and deliver them to God. And I feel like when we are, are listening to others, when we are present with others, we are mimicking that work of the Holy Spirit. We are listening to the thoughts that are on their minds, the, the, the emotions, and the raw feelings that they are, are struggling with and dealing with and that are, are really weighing on them. And we are taking that and helping, uh, A, bring that to God in prayer. Uh, B, we can help sometimes organize those thoughts a little bit and give them a voice uh, so that it's not just, you know, a wall of emotion and feeling um, and, and see like we have an understanding that the Holy spirit never leaves our side. And he is there with us through the depths of our pain and sorrow. And so for us to just be there with someone through the depths of their pain and sorrow, I mean, we can't be there quite as presently or as faithfully as the Holy Spirit, but to even try to be close, I think is is a beautiful picture of, of Christian living and mimicking the work of God. And uh, something that, that kind of brings to mind for me is, is one thing, you're doing a lot of passive things, right? You're listening, you're, you're just being there. One very active thing you can do is, is be in prayer with them. Mm. Um, listen to what Absolutely. they're saying, listen to what they're struggling with and say, let's, you know, let's pray together about it. Um, so I, I got my notes up and these, so these notes, apologies uh, for, yes, a, a this isn't going to be a lecture. This is going to be a rundown. Um, these come from a class that I took, I don't know if, were you in? Were you in crisis intervention? Yes. Uh, yeah, the G term with uh, Dr. Mars. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this is from the crisis intervention class with uh, Dr. Rick Mars from Concordia Seminary. Um, and these are just kind of going through my notes, some of the things that are good to keep in mind when you are um, helping with helping with people who are going through a crisis, who are going through tragedy. Um, one thing is really, we've mentioned this a lot, but work on listening skills. Um, 
do something called reflectively listen. So this is, uh, they tell you something, they share stuff with you, and then you kind of, you empathetically state their story to them. So you kind of paraphrase a little bit, you, you just to tell them I'm listening and I hear what you're saying. Um, and what's really, really important with that, um, when you are using emotion words that they didn't use, like you're reading into a situation, always use a word that is more extreme than you might think necessary. Because if you use a word that's not strong enough, most people will not correct you. Like if you say sad instead of devastated, most people will not say, hold on, it's worse than that. But if you say devastated and they're actually just sad, a lot of people will say, well, hold on, it's not that bad. But if they're devastated, they'll, they'll let your devastation word sit there. So um, use stronger language than you might think necessary. Uh, with the listening, also watch your body language and environment. Like if you're sitting like this, you're not communicating that if you're, if you're looking, if you're, if you're dorking around on your phone, you're not communicating that you're listening. Open posture, eye contact, but not too much eye contact because then you come off as a sociopath. Um, <laughs> so these are listening skills. Uh, what's, what's an important thing for you is keep in mind your personal stress management. Um, make sure that when, when you are going through this with someone else, you also are taking time um, away from them, away from the situation and kind of rest to decompress. Um, so critical incident. Preferably with someone else too. Yes. So that you have an opportunity to like voice things if you need to. Um, so critical incident stress management. This is what would be a situation um, like the tragedy in Oxford. Um, and this is from a presentation by Bill Engfer. Realize the longer you wait after a trauma to help, the greater the, like, the neurological impact on the brain. So if someone is facing a tragedy, don't say, oh, I'll wait. I'll wait till it calms down a little bit to reach out. Like, reach out. Um, you can go through emotional first aid. Um, you have to make sure that confidentiality is kept. Like, make sure they know you're not going to go and share these things with other people. Um, so... There are tactics before, during, and after a critical incident. Before, and that, like, say you are you're listening to this right now, and you're like, wow, I don't have any of these situations near me. I don't have any friends who are struggling like this. We still have stuff you can do, right? Before, an act, before something like this happens, before tragedy happens, seek out some education, like mental health first aid training, emotional support training. Like, most of these things, you can find courses for these. And it's normally like a Saturday. It's, it's like, at least for mental health first aid training, it's like eight hours on a Saturday, but it's just like, take the day, get some education, better equip yourself to support people in these situations. Um, talk to your pastor. If one of, if, if you're listening to this and you're in, you're at Edgewater, if someone were to come up to me and be like genuinely interested in starting a crisis management team, I would be over the moon. Um, so like talk to the pastor of your church, say, Hey, can we get a group of people together who are kind of just on standby to help in situations like this? Um, 
do planning in advance, develop protocols, develop policies for this. Um, during the incident, which most of us won't be involved with. And if you're a first responder, you've already received more training than you're going to get from this podcast. But uh, there can be on-scene support. There's one-on-one -on -one intervention. Um, provision of basic needs, I think, is the big one. So if you hear that someone has experienced a tragedy, one thing that is totally okay to do is to give them a call and say, hey, I'm bringing dinner over for you tonight because that is something they don't have to deal with. That is a task you can take off their plate or just simple stuff like that. Or uh, offer to go to say, hey, can I take your kids to school uh, for the next couple of days? Just prov like provide those basic services so they can, uh, they, they don't have to do that stuff. And then after um, you have one-on-one -on -one conversations, you have hopefully a crisis management um, professional, you have counselor, because unless you're willing to go to school for this, you are not a professional counselor. Even Ben and I, who have been to school for some level of counseling, are not professional counselors. If you come to either one of us and, because we have the tools to kind of say, this might be more than I can handle. Like we have these, hallmarks that we say, Ooh, this is not, this is out of my wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the general know enough to know when we're over our head. Right. I, the general rule at the seminary is if the, the situation cannot be resolved in about four meetings, it's something you need to, we, we need to connect you with a Christian counselor on. Right. Because like, say it's something ongoing, like uh, depression or anxiety or um, a schizophrenia, any of these kind of mm -hmm. mental illnesses that don't just disappear. That is not in our, our capability to treat. And it's probably, if you're listening to this, it's probably not in yours either, unless you are a counselor, um, in which case, thank you for everything you do. Appreciate you. Um, Absolutely. But so kind of those follow-up services, but something that I, I, and that's, I'm done with my notes from the class. I'm actually, um, one thing that really stuck out to me, and I don't know if this was that class or one of our other counseling classes, but grief is incredibly persistent, right? And a lot of people like say, even just in more of a, I guess, mundane tragedy, you lose someone, like someone loses their battle with cancer. Mm -hmm. and that loved one is lost that grief like the support and I, I forget the statistics but the support for people who are grieving is phenomenal in the first month or two everybody's bringing them mm -hmm. dinner everybody's supporting everybody's checking in but that grief doesn't go away after one or two months it can last six months it can last a year like this is an extended thing so what's really important is if you have a friend who's struggling with a tragedy Support them like right now, support them through the tragedy. But then what I would encourage you is put a reminder in your calendar for three months out, for six months out, for like for periodically into the future to remind yourself to check in. So six months after, after the fact, you call them and you say, hey, can I take you out to dinner? And, and just kind of be there and say, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing with 
the tragedy. How are you doing? I, I know it's been six months, but I, I know it can still be still be difficult. So I'm, I'm still here for you and be that persistent um, presence. So those are just, I guess, from the class and then uh, from information I've picked up along the way. Um, those are just some things. If you're wondering, well, how do I help people respond in tragedy? How do I, how do I support people in these ways? Those are some things I would throw at you. And I think kind of bouncing off of that, the, the reason that grief is so persistent, um, kind of looking at it from a, a psychological perspective, grief is basically, it's the, the emotions that you experience um, from missed opportunities. So when, when you have events that come up where, you know, say somebody loses their parent um, and they were really hoping to have that parent at their wedding or uh, there for the birth of a grandchild or something like that, those events then carry a ton of grief associated with them because there's a significant loss of opportunity. And that happens on a small scale and it happens on a large scale like those kind of examples. But then also from a, like a, a neurological standpoint, grief and especially trauma can physically alter your brain. And so to experience these kinds of things, it is 100% normal if it just doesn't seem to go away. And it is 100% the right idea to find and, and look for help. If you are continuing to experience trauma, continuing to experience grief um, stemming from a single event. Um, and, you know, as we look at our, our own brokenness and trying to kind of bring this quasi theological podcast back to, uh, its roots. Um, as we look at, at our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world around us, I think it's it's kind of natural for us to go, you know, these these things that are happening around us, they don't just break communities, they don't just end lives, they don't just, you know, cause a loss of home or job or whatever it may be, but they break us. Um, in a profound way and, and the only the only solution ultimately the only solution to all of this is that someday we will be recreated in Christ to the point where these scars that we carry now we won't have to carry anymore and I look forward to that day and I hope that God gives me the ability and the peace to serve uh, people going through tragedy uh, with the hope in mind and the certainty in that hope that that is coming down the line. So drawing that in, if you are, if you're listening to this and you're facing, if you're struggling with tragedy, um, First of all, we have that comfort for you that in, in Christ Jesus, we are promised an eternity that is, is perfect beyond anything we can picture in a new creation. Um, and, and the incredible thing with this is it, it, these tragedies that, that break our lives that just um, 
are so devastating for us in the scope of eternity it's it's going to be a blink of an eye so that's that's tough to to process if you're going through it but i think there is there is comfort in that hope that we have that eternity um and then some other other things if if you're struggling like find people to talk to you're not a burden you are not like your friends want to be there for you your pastors want to be there for you if you're a member of my congregation in eastvale if you're a member of ben's congregation in michigan we are here for you and if you're not if you're not uh if you're not connected with the church and you're listening to this um reach out to one of us because we have we have friends and connections all over the country we can find you a church with a pastor who would be happy to support you um and I guess the last thing I would say is like, there's no shame or whatever in, in like, seek out a counselor. They, their, their literal job is to support people who are struggling with tragedy, with grief, with, uh, with whatever. So like avail yourselves of their services. Um, personally, I think <laughs> this is a little bit off topic, but I don't think it's a bad idea for every single person to have a counselor they see on a fairly regular basis. Uh, not necessarily like once a week, cause that would get really expensive really quick, but like every few months, just having a counselor that you can check in with um, in the same way that you check in with a primary care doctor. Um, and then you have that connection if and when tragedy strikes, you, you have that that person, that professional who you already know you can go to and get that support. Because the reality is um, those are three different kinds of support, right? The, the, the support you get from one of us, from a pastor, is not going to be the same support you get from a counselor. We, we by nature, take everything from a much more um, spiritual bent. We are focused very much on that aspect, where a counselor is going to focus much more on, on emotions and and. On, uh, on the psychology of things. And that's not to say that either of us neglect the other, but we have our specialties and your friend is going to be different than all of them. So when, when I say these, it's not like here are three different menu options for support during your crisis. It's here are three. Um, I'll take the pastor with a side of fries. I'd love a side <laughs> of fries. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Um, it's three, it's three different aspects of a, like a holistic approach to supporting, to being supported through tragedy. So I feel like, I feel like we just a lot this episode, you know, I also feel like we just did takeaways without doing takeaways. So I guess, yeah, uh, I, maybe just to sum that up, uh, if you need the help, don't be afraid to seek it out it's that is a part of the human experience to experience brokenness um don't be afraid to look for help um being a great friend to someone is amazing uh and know that you also have help in, in the form of pastors and counselors and also know that christ and i mean christ is with you through 
all of the trauma and all of the, the tragedy and all of the stuff we have to deal with uh, in the midst of life. And um, there is a greater hope. There is a hope of recreation and that work is started in the work Christ did on the cross. And boy, do we have a good thing coming. Yeah, I, I think I would say one more thing to close is it's it's not just the cross we look to for hope. It's what happened three days later, right? Christ yeah. rose from the dead. And if he can overcome death and hell for us, he can certainly overcome anything else that we're struggling with. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I so I to close with our, our prayer suggestions for you. Um, and these these are some things I would encourage you to pray for, not just today, not just when there's a tragedy that's made the news or that has impacted your life, but regularly. Um, pray that that God would would build up people to support those who, who are suffering tragedy. Um, and that he would equip you to be a, a good friend, a good, a good supporter to the, your loved ones in this situation. Um, and then I guess more specifically for now, pray for the families who are, um, who are currently experiencing tragedy in Oxford, um, the families, their friends, all those connected to them. Lift them up in prayer because prayer does work. Prayer does incredible things. So. Um, those would be my prayer suggestions for you and then above all that thank uh give thanks to god because he does promise us something better and that's something joyful that we get to look forward to mm-hmm. um, with that brothers and sisters uh go in peace serve the lord thanks be to god thanks be to god